0: 104.7 The Cave, J.K.L.H., Marshfield, Springfield, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network.
1: Touchdown, Kansas
2: City!
0: Now, it's time for Ned Talk.
2: It is noon on a, uh, well, not the... Best Sunday, but it is March and spring is just around the corner. And I'm sitting next to Ned Reynolds. Ned, how are you on doing, this fine
1: day? Doing just great, thank you. Beautiful day in the Ozarks, and you're right, spring is knocking at the door. And we hope that knocking is answered very quickly.
2: I'm going to let spring in. I'm just—I'll tell you—I'm not
3: going to avoid spring. I'm going to let it in. Stormy, how are you? I'm a little sleepy. You know, got a little wound up last night watching a certain basketball game, but I'm good today. I think it's beautiful
2: out. Yeah, Stormy Davis with us and Josh Roberts sitting in with his Alabama
4: hat on. How are you, Josh? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm the the guy you can't get rid of anymore. I'm here (laughs) all the time.
2: So let's start out. Let's talk about March Madness because that's what's on everybody's mind. A couple of Buffett sets yesterday, the Big East and the Pac-12 shaking
1: things up. What do you think, Ned? Yeah, Georgetown has come out of nowhere. They didn't really have a very good year at all. And uh, they are into the final today. It's good because that's going to open up the door for uh, several other teams. Now, Mr. Roberts, to my right, is also in for a big day because his favorite team's basketball program is going to be one of the highly rated, if not a number one seed in the tournament. The Crimson Tide is having a tremendous year, and they're good. It's not a fluke. They are a very good basketball team. Having said all that, this is a day that was denied, all of us who live for this particular Uh, In in a sense, it's a holiday because you have the uh, the 64 or 68, depending on how many they choose, if there is a play-in round this year, a number of teams going into the big dance, the national tournament. It's a very big day. The NIT is chosen a little bit later on tonight, and the women's uh, national championship (coughs) field is selected for tomorrow, and that brings up a very interesting story because Missouri State has opted out of a probable automatic bid As the champion, they're not in that tournament, not in the women's uh, conference tournament up in Moline, Illinois. They've opted out because the Valley suggested that they play a semifinal game against a team that had COVID responses. And Missouri State said no. They voted on it, said no, we're not going to do it. We're going home. Wise choice, but a calculated one, too, because they're more than likely going to be invited to the big dance anyway. So rather than take a chance, come on home. I applaud their decision.
2: Stormy, is this just about your, I know you're a big Drury fan, so your favorite time
3: of the year as far as basketball goes? Oh, easily. I mean, uh, you know, we could talk about 2013 for the guys, but right now the women's basketball program over at Drury is just, it's just killing it. And, of course, Friday was the one-year anniversary of that horrible day last year. And uh, glad to see the team get a win last night and kind of make sure that there was not going to be any curse of the Bambino that would go along with uh, what happened last year. So great job to him last night. Little shakeup looks like going on before the LSU Alabama
2: game that the uh, two teams have met in the middle of the court and uh, some happy words being exchanged or unhappy <laughs> words being ex- Congratulations. Hope you have a good game, yeah. guys. I
4: hope this all works out. It's all well wishes.
2: You're not as a huge basketball fan as uh, the rest of us here in the studio, but since Alabama's in, are you rooting for them? Are you pulling for them this year?
4: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I – I casually, you're right, I just casually watch basketball anyway. I do love the tournament. I love the whole atmosphere of it. I love the idea of it. Ned and I were talking before we came on air that college basketball, you do have these small schools that have an opportunity to upset these huge programs. And that's exciting. I mean, there aren't, I don't know that there's any other sport where that's possible anymore.
2: Baseball, college baseball still, it still happens quite a bit in college baseball. But that brings us to a topic that I wanted to discuss to open out the show today, Ned, and that is over the last few years, we've seen smaller programs, schools that just aren't really on the tip of your tongue, and even schools like Gonzaga that are, become sort of perennial powers, but they're still not what you think of when you think of the big college universities and the big programs. They're coming into the tournament, they're doing well, there's... Such an excitement with that that you don't get with college football.
1: Well, that is because in in several cases, those schools do not play college football. And they've been able to funnel their athletic budgets toward a basketball Mm -hmm. program. Case in point is, Gonzaga used to many years ago when I was a kid growing up. They did have a football team. But uh, since decided to abandon that ship and go with basketball, their program, that's a little bit misleading, Joe, because in back, oh gosh, uh, 40, 50 years ago, Gonzaga did have a very representative program. And as recently as the late 1980s when John Stockton played for them, while they were not a championship program, they certainly were competitive to say the very least. This year, they're probably going to go in as number one, Loyola of Chicago. Uh, we're going to bring I'm going to bring this up again a little bit later on in our show. But when I was in the Navy, Loyola Chicago won the NCAA National Championship 1963. And it was a cause celeb because nobody had ever heard of them before. I had because the year before. My school, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Temple got beaten by them in the NIT, and nobody had ever heard of them. And so I, anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, Loyola Chicago, a, a small school, Butler, Virginia Commonwealth, yes, these are all programs that have been able to manifest their athletic budgets and their direction, the focus of direction from the school into into allowing a circumstance in which they can play for national championships and be a national championship contender. even happened here in town when Missouri Mm -hmm. State went to the, when they were Southwest Missouri State back then, went to the Sweet 16. And a lot of it, and I don't mean this to be negative, but a lot of it has to do with the draw that they get. Uh, The year that Loyola made the Final Four back in 2019, they really had a piece of cake for their draw. The year the Bears went to the Sweet 16, yes, Wisconsin and Tennessee were big names, but they weren't the biggest of names in basketball, and the Bears were able to beat them with a pretty good basketball team. There are interesting things that can happen on the draw, and we'll see how it shapes up today. It, it could, uh, in fact, present itself to where another small school comes and conquers everybody.
2: Who do you think? Is there somebody that comes to mind right off your the tip of your tongue that you can think of that? somebody to watch a dark horse in the
1: tournament? The dark horse team I have is Arkansas, and they they aren't a small school at all. Gonzaga, I think, is probably the premier one that fits everybody's bill along those lines because it is a small parochial school in Spokane, Washington. But their program is such that it is pretty doggone good. How good? Are they a number one seed? Well, they will be a number one seed, no question about that. But are they a team that's going to go all the way to a national championship? I have my doubts, but... We'll wait and see. There's so many great
2: tournaments this time of year besides the NCAA tournament. There's, the, of course, the NIT tournament, which is a very traditional one. There was it's, a, it's the oldest. It's the oldest. And there was a time when when college teams avoided the NCAA tournament and they played in the NIT.
1: It was a very big deal. And this is back in the actually prior to, I'm going to say prior to 1960. A lot of teams did avoid the NCAA because it didn't have quite the prestige that the NIT did. Keep in mind, the NIT back then played all the games in Madison Square Garden from your first round all the way up to the championship. And that in in and of itself was a very big draw for the colleges to go to New York, be on Broadway, experience the big city. That all ended, I think it was 1975, if I remember correctly. But that's when the NIT, which at the time was privately owned, decided that uh, their attendance was beginning to fall off just a bit at the Garden. And, in fact, they decided to go to home sites and end it at the Garden, which they did with the semifinals and finals. That won't be the case this year. It's all in the suburbs of Dallas, and those suburbs are Denton, Texas, and Frisco, Texas. They'll play on those two sites down there. (laughs)
4: There used to be an all-you-can-eat steak place in Denton Texas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't you think those teams won't be there? <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. If it still exists, those guys are gonna lose some money. Well, we talked earlier, we
2: talked last week actually about Missouri State, the men's team being out. The women's team you mentioned earlier looks like they have a shot. Very good shot. They should be invited to the tournament. Where do you th- where do you see them? fitting in at, and how should we look for them to do? What should be our expectations? Okay,
1: I I can see them being seated as high as five. Really? I'm going to say maybe between five and seven, somewhere along those lines, depending on the other teams that are in the competition. They are very, very good. They are also very big on the front line. They can match up size-wise with a lot of other women's teams in the country. Now, can they compete with the level of a Tennessee Yes, I think they can, because I think that Coach Harper's team is probably on a par with Missouri State right now. But with a Connecticut and a Texas A&M and a Stanford, Lady Bears are capable of giving those teams a good game. But I'm not sure they have quite the firepower to be able to stay with them. But, hey, I'd like to see them give it a try. I think it would be a great deal. I think Missouri State has a great chance of doing damage in this NCAA tournament when they get in there, depending again on how they're matched.
2: Now, the women's side is a little bit different for the men's side because there are four or five dominant programs within that section. And you see the same names every year come up. And uh, that's just sort of a given or to be expected with the women's side of college basketball.
1: It has been one of the criticisms of the, uh, the female sector of college basketball because, as you pointed out, there are the elite and then there's no middle ground. There's the rest of the teams. Well, I'm not sure that I buy that argument. the elite it's getting larger and larger every year. there's some really good teams Texas A and m for instance didn't have too much of a program several years ago. They're national powers now and very good Texas Tech, which did have a national power with Cheryl swoops and that that ball club that that level that genre uh, has since diminished a little bit. They're not quite as good so it's it's kind of a an evening outboard. Tennessee, of course, had the great Pat Summit as as their coach for years and years and years. They have slightly diminished. South Carolina has come on under Dawn Staley. They're they're a national power. Louisville is a national power.
2: Notre Dame.
1: No, Notre Dame has been. They have a new coach this year, Neal Ivey, who, as a matter of fact, played against the Lady Bears back in the late 90s. She's a product of Incarnate Word in St. Louis and a Notre Dame grad. Took over for Muffet McGraw. Uh, Iowa, the Big Ten teams, but but nobody has taken Connecticut's place yet. And as long as Gina Oriema is there and able to recruit and able to come up with great teams, uh, here's an interesting little stat, and I find that this is one that's never going to be topped. When they left the Big East Conference in 2012, they joined the American Athletic Conference, the AAC, that's Tulsa and Wichita and Southern Methodist in Houston and my school, Temple, they're in the AAC. In that time period, from 2013 to last year, Connecticut never, never lost a game. Wow! They were undefeated. I think it's 138 and zero, or some ridiculous number.
4: That's insane.
1: So they left the conference and went back to the Big East this year. They've still never lost a game. They didn't lose anything in the Big East. Wow! This is this, wow. is, this is a dominant program. Are they good enough to win a national championship? Well. If they get up against North Carolina State and South Carolina and Texas A&M and Stanford teams that are big and and physical, they may have some problems. But again, we'll see how the draw works out.
2: Here's my brush with fame. I uh, it's a pathetic brush with fame. Let's say called,
1: <laughs> I worked I worked in St.
2: Louis for a big company for for a year. They had the women's Final Four. Yeah.
1: In, 20, say, 2001.
2: in in that year, and I was driving down the road, and I saw Gino Oriema walking down the street, I yelled at him, Hey, Gino! And he turned around and just, you know, <laughs> waved at me. You're listening to Ned Talk. I'm 104.7 The Cave. It's your local live sports talk show. Shift gears just a little bit, and we'll check in with Stormy because uh, in this area, the Division two tournament, people love it just as much as they love the NCAA tournament, and they love especially the women's side and the men's side both. Because Drury has played and done very well in both those tournaments. A mm-hmm. couple of times, national champions. I think men's times, what, three three times? Two. Two national Two champions. Two times. But everybody that's my age remembers the uh, Jerry Alexander teams that played in that. But the women's team
3: lost a couple of years ago. Last year, no tournament. This year, what do you think? Oh, this team has got incredible potential. And, uh, you know, they played really well last night, uh, once again, against Truman and uh, they just looked really good, solid. A lot of players who step up. I mean, Paige Robinson is on an amazing roll right now. She was chosen as the GOVC Player of the Year. Um, and it, Drury has just built such a great fan base for D2 basketball in the area. Both sides. You know, the guys won the national championship in 2013. I'll talk about that more later. Um, and then the women's program. I mean, out of the 17 years they've been in the – uh. GOVC, they've been to the finals as the number one seed set, uh, 15 times. I mean, it's just dominance. And then now we've won it f- five years in a row. So uh, this team has an incredible potential. They don't have the star power like they did last year with Haley Disselkamp, who at times seemed just pure unstoppable. Um, but th- this team works well together because they shift the responsibilities. You know, one game, Paige may not have the re- the shots she has, but she has an amazing number of assists. And you'll have like an Emily Parker or, or Peyton Richards step up and hit the points. So they shift that responsibility around a lot. And that's what makes this team so great. You expect them to – how far do you think they'll go? They have the potential to go to the finals. There's no question there. It all Again, it depends on the seating. It depends on where all that stuff falls because right now the number one team in the nation is Lubbock Christian. They're the team that took us out two years ago. And uh, they are a big, strong Texas team that uh, is, is pretty tough to beat. They're all over the court for uh um, their a little bit bigger team pardon my i don't supposed to say that about women but uh they they move around very very well for it and so they're great athletes and it is just a well run program and uh depending on how, how far it how far we're in before we hit them to me is where it goes
2: Josh do you fill out a bracket
4: yeah usually how many one i'll do usually you, just fill out one do you bet uh if it's a low amount of money sure like I'm not gonna go more than 20 (laughs) bucks in on on an NCAA bracket because usually I I'll try to pick a few upsets and I'm usually wrong like I'll pick a 12 to beat a five which typically happens but I I never pick the right one so you know I'll throw in some money on it Ned Mm -hmm. you want to you want to Start a bracket? Well,
1: year? I send mine automatically to Warren Buffett every year. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's a good idea. And, and Warren lives in fear of that, of course. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you guys, what, you bet billions of dollars? Is that what you and Warren bet on the bracket? Uh,
1: there, it was no bet. It's not a bet. You send one in there, and if you fill it out perfectly and go through it with the odds of which are infinitesimal against that happening, uh, you win, I think it's uh, a billion dollars. Maybe. I think so,
4: yeah. That's the... Warren Buffett puts up a billion dollars if you do a perfect bracket. Really?
1: It's yeah. it's perfect. It's got to be a hundred percent perfect. And you're not you don't have to pick scores. You just
4: have to pick all the winners. winners.
3: Yeah.
1: Wow. Somebody's matter. gonna win that one. Someone will. will. Someday. Someday. No. No. Someday. That that the odds on that happening, guys. Are, oh, I know they're, they're they're huge. In it's the stars. Count the stars in the sky. And you have a greater chance of uh, getting something accurate as opposed to winning that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> do you fill out a bracket still now i do on occasion
1: yeah mm-hmm. do you Just bet on it no
2: no no, no. no. you're a schoolboy. you don't bet
4: <laughs>
1: i am pure of soul and heart oh I'm, good how grief many have...
4: <laughs> what if we what if we bet jim beam on it oh um... there's a different story <laughs> what, what about you stormy do you fill out brackets? I, I used to fill out brackets religiously every
3: year and, and yeah i did bet on them i won't lie you know a 20 here 50 there to get things rolling with uh but usually when I did it with people, it was about the entire bracket. It wasn't necessarily about game-to-game game and all that stuff. Because once these things get rolling, even when you're really keeping up with it, there are just so many games in the beginning uh, to try to keep up with how teams are, are trending on the court. It's it's nuts. So we'd go with a full bracket. All right. We've 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 checked in with everybody in their,
2: in their bracket picks. I've got a roundtable discussion coming up a little bit later on favorite memories from the NCAA tournament. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Missouri State football next. It's Ned Talk and 104.7 The Cave.
0: Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back in the
2: studio, Ned Reynolds, Stormy Davis, Josh Roberts, and we've got to talk about. Besides Chiefs football, we'll get to that in just a minute. We've got college football. We've got Missouri State spring college football. And even rarer than that, we have a win to talk about, don't we, Ned?
1: Interestingly Woo! enough, it is. It's their second win of the year, beat Western Illinois to start out uh, the year on the road. And they go to Vermillion, South Dakota, yesterday and come up with a 27-24 to 24 win over the Coyotes of the University of South Dakota, who were ranked Number I believe number 21 in America in uh, FCS circles. Now, <laughs> here's the anomaly of this whole thing. Thankfully, the game is played in person on the field with athletes. If you looked at the statistics and the box score from this game, you'd say, boy, South Dakota won this one by a couple of touchdowns because they have outstat, outstatted the Bears in virtually every category, offensively almost twice as much. Uh, more passing yardage, almost twice as much. Rushing yardage was more in the Bears' favor, but everything favored South Dakota except the big plays. Okay, South Dakota had a 7-0 lead. Bears tied it on a 100-yard kickoff return. Awesome. South Dakota takes, as South Dakota should say, takes the lead 14-7. The Bears tie it on a pick six. How about that, huh? Oh. Two big plays. Yeah. 100-yard kickoff return and a pick six, and the game is tied. From there on in, South Dakota missed three chip shot field goal attempts, one of which was blocked by the defense, and the Bears did did play hard-nosed defensive football in the key moments. Uh, South Dakota had a first and goal from the two-yard line and did not score.
4: Oh, that's awesome.
1: And th- th- this is testimony to how Bobby Petrino – has directed that team. It doesn't matter what you're doing between the the ten yard lines. It's how you behave in the clutch. And the Bears defense did come to the fore. Gets a very nice win over a. I I, I think South Dakota is probably a little bit overrated as far as their rankings concerned. Now next week the Bears have. Well, it, it, let's put it this way: it's going to be it's going to be a rough haul from here on in because you're getting the Northern Iowas, you're getting the you already had North Dakota State, but you have South Dakota State still to play. You have the team that is rearing its head over in Carbondale and upsetting the big timers. Sa- uh, Southern Illinois upset Northern Iowa yesterday, 17 to 16. And the undefeated team, North Dakota, they still are on the Bears schedule. They will be tough hombres to handle. Having said all that, I think the Bears are a better football team. I think they have better quality athletes, and I think they are more directed.
2: Any time that the Bears, we were talking about the Bears winning, that's a big change over the last few years. And especially, you know, you felt that South South Dakota State is overrated no no
1: no no. South Dakota
2: these these teams need to work something out with that because <laughs> it's just not working for me South Dakota all right that they beat South Dakota that's number 21 ranked team in the country and then the Bears won that game now usually we wouldn't be talking about that we'd be talking about well the Bears gave them a game for a quarter and then well after that it just went downhill they win they they're finding a way to win and and you were talking about Petrino's philosophy of uh, bend but don't break. It's a little bit like the Chiefs and exactly. their defensive
1: Exactly what it is. And that's the uh, hallmark, in my opinion, of good teams. You learn to accept adversity and come back from adversity and win and play a winning style of football. And I think that is the mindset that Coach Petrino has implemented with this ball club. The same can be said for the Kansas City Chiefs, although they're more, more accustomed to being ahead and uh, having teams try to catch up with them—that's not the Bears' case. It's—it's uh, it's really comparing apples and oranges, though. Uh, Kansas City, Kansas City is very good, and I think the Bears, in time, are going to be very good.
2: Taking the right steps, which is something we haven't oh, been yeah. able to say for a long time. So, really excited about. That. I'm excited about Bears football.
3: What about you, Stormy? Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a good news thing. We were talking during the break, and as much grief as we've given Petrino you know, when he first hired him and all this kind of stuff and the situation around it, the fact does, and we all agreed on this, the fact is he's still a damn good football coach. And so it's good to see him coming in and making changes that have the team winning and, and doing these things, like you said, in the clutch, in the moments where they really need it and uh, learning how to step up in those moments. So I'm hoping that it, it trends up and we, we get more of it. And certainly when they start really letting the fans back in, you know, I think it'll start bringing some people. We haven't gotten our complimentary tickets, by the way. Not yet. <laughs> just, Not yet. I
2: just thought I'd bring that up. Come Kyle on, Mo- Bob.
3: Yeah. Come on. I didn't get my Valentine's take card Come
2: on, either, Kyle. So. Come on. Get us those tickets. We really want them. <laughs> anyway, so... Josh, are you feeling that Alabama's maybe watching these Bears games and shaking a little bit, thinking, (laughs) I don't want to add them to the schedule? You know
4: what's funny is Coach Petrino has the distinction of having beaten Alabama and LSU in the same season. That doesn't happen very often. It's exciting to talk about Bears football. I think it's great. I mean, MSU football... Has not been something that was super exciting to talk about.
2: Southern Methodist University. Speaking of me, saying college names wrong. Yeah, MS. What I say? <laughs> you SMU? said
4: MSU. M- yeah, something MSU. like that. SMS. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, it is exciting. I mean, he is a good coach. He's gonna. He's putting together the program that he wants to put together. He's gonna instill a, a, a competitive attitude. Hopefully, that turns into more wins. You know, I would love to see them compete against the teams in their conference, you know, and be challenging to be at the top of that. That'd be awesome.
2: Let's talk about the Chiefs. They um, let a couple of guys go this week, and it's a little, you know, they have to get it under that salary cap number. But the guys they let go are uh, stalwarts in the offensive line. What did you think of the Chiefs' moves this week? I think it
1: had to be done. For one thing, it does, of course, creates uh, a little bit of space. There's another factor involved, too, that I'll talk about in just a second. But in the case of uh, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, you have two guys who are trying to recover from rather significant injuries and surgical procedures. Are they to be counted on as being frontliners next year? And I think the Chiefs are taking a gamble and saying, no, they're not. These guys may take a little bit longer to recover because they are a little bit older. Both are approaching the 30-year-old mark, and by football circles, that's old. the offensive line. Maybe not so much as it would be for other positions, but you do have to create that space. The biggest deal the Chiefs have made is restructuring, and this is going to re- occur, I think, on a, in maybe some cases every year, They've restructured Patrick Mahomes' contract. Yeah. Now, what they're doing, that, that means he gets the same amount of money, folks. It's $503 uh, million. He'll get that, but it's now being backloaded. And what that does is create more space, uh, more salary cap space. Uh, and that's that's good. The Chiefs certainly need that. At last report, they were still 4 or $5 million over the salary cap. Keep in mind, the National Football League does not does not want teams to go over that salary cap. They go to great lengths to have teams not violate that protocol to the point where no team ever has. There's an office in the NFL front office that dictates and warns teams, you're getting close, here's what you need to do. Well, I think the Chiefs probably got a phone call from New York and said, here's what you need to do. They were $22 million over the salary cap at one point. They aren't that much over it now. But I think you're also going to see a couple more veterans let go. Maybe this week, um, maybe the next week after that. The 17th, which is Wednesday, is the start of the National Football League business season and when you can start to sign free agents. Right now the Chiefs are, they are in a point where they can sign maybe one free agent somewhere along the line. But you're going to have to make a, a, an equal change in the team to allow that to happen. They need help on the front line, the offensive line. There isn't any question about it. That's where they'll draft. That's where they'll get the free agents. They do need help there. It was the weakness in the offensive line that cost them the Super Bowl. No question about it.
3: Stormy, who do you see the Chiefs making cuts to? Difficult decisions. Oh, boy. Um, I certainly can see them making more changes to the offensive line if they think they need that because of what they're going to do with the draft. Um, when they let go of Fisher and Schwartz, I'll admit I wasn't happy about the decision. But in the past, when I've rooted, been talking about teams, I would have gotten more. So, but I automatically kicked in and thought, okay, I trust Big Red. I understand, it. you know, what he does, and and the way Mitch has talked about him when he comes down here is that uh, he's just he's got a plan for this kind of stuff, and so. I, I just, at first, you know, a little bit of reaction. Oh my gosh, I got what the world! But in almost no time, it's like, all right, Andy Reid's got this. He's got it. Something worked out. He knows what he's doing. He knows who he's going after in that draft, and he's going to walk into that draft. He and the GM with an a game, an A plan, a B plan, a C plan, a D plan, an E plan. Who knows of all these chess chess move like factors? Saying, okay, if we don't get this, we're going with that. And so I'm I'm actually okay feeling good about what they may do so and at first I, I wasn't sure but now i was very confident in them. chiefs have one of the best gms in all the
2: football yes Brett they do Veach, do you uh what do you think the chiefs are going to do here
4: well i i am a little I, the problem is for me their offensive line is like ned said that's what the the holes in the offensive line the injuries at the end of the season are why they lost the super bowl and then you let two of your veterans go, which I get it. I understand the the economics and the uh, age of it. But that even if you draft the best offensive lineman you could possibly draft from college, they're not going to be where they need to be when the season starts. So I feel like there's going to be an issue, at least at the beginning of the season, with protecting Patrick Mahomes, just like we saw in the Super Bowl. And it kind of worries me. Um I mean, I don't know. I, they do need to draft people that are going to be long-term uh, offensive linemen, but I don't know. That's, it's almost like a rebuilding portion of the team.
1: There are a couple of circumstances that might just come back in the Chiefs' favor. One is Lucas Niang, who is a big offensive lineman from Texas Christian, who they drafted last year and who opted out because of COVID-19. So he didn't play. He doesn't have any experience. He has been away from the team for one year, but he does have ability, and he's big and very fast and was a star and a highly regarded star on the TCU football teams. The other one is Laurent Duvarney tardif I have a feeling he's not going to come back, but he has not said that he won't. But here's a man who has, come on, guys, he's taken the Hippocratic Oath. His career is directed toward medicine. He opted out last year to help with the COVID pandemic. He has also been out for a year, and he is also not particularly young. If he comes back, it would be a help. If Niang can be an effective weapon, that would be a help. But you really have to have veterans who have played, Mm -hmm. and that translates into free agency.
2: Let me real quickly, Ned, are you surprised that they didn't cut the doctor?
1: No, because I think they hope he comes back, and he is a valuable part of that offensive line this is This is a dedicated football player as well as being a physician. He loves to play the game, but he also knows that that time is very limited, and his career as a doctor is still emerging. So I think what they did was not cut him but say, hey, we're leaving a door open for you to come on back if you want to give it a try. That's not to say they wouldn't cut him if he did because this is this is not a uh, touchy-feely profession. Oh, no. I mean, no. If, it doesn't no. matter who you are. If you're not fitting the bill, you're G-O-N-E.
2: That's one of the things I love. I do love about football is they all talk about it being a business, but when they get cut, You see the tears coming. (laughs) We'll have a roundtable discussion. It's coming up in just a second on Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave.
0: Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network.
2: This is the point in the show where we stop for a roundtable discussion about whatever and our topic today is favorite NCAA (laughs) memories. And we start with you, Ned. Do you have anything from uh, this century, or is it last century? That would be last
1: century. Me too. <laughs> me too.
2: I will admit to that. I'm not I'm not giving you crap about that, because I'm assuming. What's, your, what's I have, your favorite? I have
1: two that are particularly ones that resonate with me. And, of course, number one would be the first year that Missouri State made the NCAA. and yep. I was at KY3, and uh, this is 1987, and followed them, reported on them down to Atlanta in the no longer standing or defunct Omni in Atlanta. And sat there on the press row while the Bears took on Clemson. Clemson being about a 15- or 17-point favorite and watching Missouri State dismantle a very good Clemson basketball team. And this is what you guys were talking about earlier. Anybody can rise up. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bears were more than just anybody. They had Winston Garland, Kelby, Stuckey on that team, Basil Robinson, uh, Greg Bell. It was a tremendous effort on on their part, and Clemson was not ready to play. And the Bears beat him to the punch. I think the big play early in the second half when they <laughs> pulled over everybody on the offense, Winston brought them over all on one side. It's called uh, moving your defenses over and flooding one side mm-hmm. and then freed Greg Bell off a pick on an alley-oop. And Greg Bell's only about 6'4", but went up on the alley-oop and slammed it home. And those 15,000 people in the Omni just... Oh, (laughs) and Charlie Spoonhour telling us afterwards, that's plan play, guys. We've done that and caught Clemson by complete surprise. Bears winning that one is a very, very close memory. And then two days later, taking Kansas to within three points.
2: I was in college about that time, and we uh, always went to the games and sat in the student section. I remember early in the season, uh, right behind us, there were some people that were here from the Billikens, and they, the guy was uh, talking a lot of smack. And uh, and the girl uh, that came with him was sitting there. And, uh, and one of my friends turned around and looked at her and goes, so that was a ride down. And she goes, it was a long ride. And he goes, it's going to be a long ride back. And she, <laughs> sure enough, it was. That's back in the day
1: when the Bears used to play the Billikins too. And yeah. that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, does not exist
2: anymore. Mm-hmm. Stormy, your favorite memory. We'll come back to you, Ned. I know you got a second one. We'll come back to you. Stormy, your favorite one.
3: Well, I can I can chime in on that one a little bit because that was the first time I intentionally skipped school for a sporting event specifically to go over to a buddy's house. And we watched it there because my mom would have killed me if she would known at the time. But uh, no, one of the ones I'll go with more this century, of course, uh, the Drury winning the national championship in 2013. I got to go on to that because that was just a beautiful moment when they came down with that rebound and they locked it in and you just you felt the emotion just explode in that arena down in Atlanta. It's both of yeah. them were in Atlanta too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh of course I'm going to pick one because it's just fun for me but uh when uh Norfolk State came in and upset Mizzou uh during the tournament, it was it was one of those deep moments that we've talked about here in the breaks that you know, team that you just, wait, who? Yeah, how did this happen? And the next thing you know, they win the game, and you got players on the floor in a ball crying in joy. And I mean, it's just—it's one of those beautiful moments in sports you see, and it just stood out to me as one of those moments. So,
4: Josh, okay, I'll go a little different direction here. So, uh, i my one of my most vivid memories of NCAA is a is a bad one. It was when Duke beat UNLV the year that they won their first national championship. Because no one was good enough to beat that UNLV team legitimately.
1: They were all. they that's were all. a colossus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there is you know that, that that was that was a circumstance that really was brewing, and you could see it because mm-hmm. Nevada Las Vegas went in there. Uh, the Tarkanian had a great team. He had Robinson and uh, mm-hmm. just just great players. And uh, you just knew they were going to run over everybody. But Duke was pretty good. Yep. Bobby Hurley and company, they, they took they took on Nevada-Las Vegas, took them, hit him up the side of the head a couple of times in the game and softened him up and came away with a win. I will tell you my other my other favorite memory was, as I mentioned, my I've just gotten out of boot camp at Navy and was awaiting the week transition to go into uh, the school that I was going to go to, which was for operating room technicians. And uh, it was a Saturday night. Saturday night watching the national championship game because this ball club, Loyola of Chicago, had come out of nowhere and won their way into the Final Four. And there was a bit of history involved with it because when Loyola of Chicago was qualified to go to the NCAA, the first team, the first team that they played in the tournament, which would have been in uh, Nashville, that's where they had the regional, was Mississippi State. Now, this brings up, guys, a circumstance that's existing today that you hear about. Mississippi State was all white, and Loyola Chicago had four African-American starters and one one white guard, Johnny Egan, a great team. All right, so what? Well, <laughs> Governor of Mississippi said, you won't be playing those guys. Uh-uh, we're not, uh uh-uh, that's not out. You're banned. You're not going to do it. Babe McCarthy, the coach at Mississippi State, packed up his team at midnight, put them on a bus, Drove to Nashville to play the game. Loyola won it by 10 or 11, somewhere around there. Oh, my. That did not, did not resonate very well with the governor and the hierarchy of Mississippi because they had violated the protocol that the, the governor had said. And then Loyola goes ahead and wins the national championship, beating the defending national champ Cincinnati uh, at the Louisville. The national championship was held at Freedom Hall that year. But that was a very big deal, I thought, in the metamorphosis of college sports 1963 as opposed to three years later when texas western won it
2: this was my dad's favorite time of year so we spent a lot of time i spent a lot of time with my dad watching college basketball i, I since he's passed i don't watch it as much as i used to because it's just hard for me it's 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 harder to go back and watch those games but i can remember you know, of course, all the big memories: Christian Leitner's shot mm-hmm. to win the game, Chris Weber calling timeout when they didn't have a timeout, mm-hmm. the North Carolina State upset when the missed the air ball caught at the rim and put back in, and the look at the guy's face like "Did I just do that?" And then Jim Valvano storming the court, um, Michael Jordan in the for for North Carolina State, and of course all, all the North, North, North Carolina, North Carolina Tar- sorry, mm-hmm. um, and. Just all the great memories I have. And and it seems like we've lost a little bit of that time Mm -hmm. from the 70s and 80s where the coaches were the stars. And you had these huge personalities that sat on the sideline. You mentioned Jerry Tartanian, Tark the Shark, always chewing on a towel. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite memories was Storm and Norman. You know, watching uh, watching him coach the Missouri State, ba- the Missouri basketball team, and some of the upsets that they had.
1: They had some big wins.
3: They had some big wins. And Charlie Spoonhour was was a, quite the personality himself Charlie, here yeah. at Missouri State. I mean, this Spoon's Temple of Doom, man. I had a airbrushed shirt T shirt made for those years. Exactly. Where we don't,
1: have those days gone? And you just mentioned something I think very uh, significant. Uh, as a student over there at Missouri State, you went to the games. You yeah, sat mm-hmm. there. Yes. This is Hammond Student Center where you had the, the pull-in bleachers on the side and the fans, <laughs> the bare hair, and everybody else. And the place was jammed. No. It was a Oh, yeah, it was oh, rocking. What do you have now? Nothing. Why? There's the key question. Why does that not exist? I think there are a couple of reasons why. Uh, television, of course, has something to do with that, the fact that the games are on TV and you can see a lot of them. And number two, the promotions have not been what they should be. Back then, Missouri State basketball was a very big deal. A little bit later on, Lady Bears basketball was a huge deal. The games were promoted. You had people you could focus on, individual stars, made themselves available to the public. The media was right there in great intensity covering all the games. Now the media probably is now, but again, the focus... Is not quite there, and you haven't seen the level of promotion that mm-hmm. it needs to have. Back when Spoon had the team, I know yeah. we're always making a reference to that. But back when he had it, he's a guy that we'll never see the likes of him again. It was—I remember remarking to Art on the air one day. He and I were the broadcast team back then, We were for twenty years, and I said, "Art, this is this is a three-ring circus in basketball." He said, "You're absolutely right. Look at all—they yes, had a some deal where they brought out a." a cage in which people went after floating dollar bills. Mm -hmm. I mean, the crowd really got into this. You had the chicken here. You had the Phoenix Gorilla was here. Mm -hmm. It was just a very, very big deal in which the audience really loved it. Now, not so much.
2: Yeah, it's it's tailed off over the last few years. And, and, you know, to go back, Missouri State football has not been very good for a long time. But I remember being in college in the 80s going to see a – Going to see a couple of football games because all students get free tickets, Hmm. you know, a certain amount of free tickets. And there were so many students and alumni in the stands that we had to actually sit in the end zone. And there were probably about 50, 60 people sitting in the end zones. The fraternities and sororities uh, all supported the sports at that time, and then that's just all gone.
1: And why? Because the Bears really had an exciting team. DeAndre Smith, the quarterback, a team that ran the triple option, beat the hell out of other teams. Hey, it was it was an exciting time to, to really be a fan, and the team and atmosphere was really electric.
2: We'll come back and wrap up the show. It's Ned Talk and 104.7 The Cave.
0: And... Back to Ned Talk on 104.7, The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network.
2: Sunday afternoon, great time to sit around in your living room or basement or garage or wherever and just take in some sports. Ned, what are you going to go home and watch?
1: We are going to watch Selection Sunday. It did not exist last year. It was immediately yanked away from us by COVID-19 and by the decisions that were made. Whether or not it's right or wrong, who knows? Who cares? Because it did happen. But the fact of the matter remains that it didn't happen, and that was a huge void in what a lot of us consider to be a very important day. So I'm, I'll be, I'll be rooted to the TV watching who the uh, top picks are.
2: Should be kind of interesting today because several teams, uh, at least three teams, three major teams, have bowed out of their tournaments, but still have the possibility to play in the. NCAA tournament.
1: That is correct. Uh, that uh, the the likes of Duke and KU and teams like that could still play. I think KU is going to be selected anyway. Duke not, but Duke could be a virus replacement because that can happen under this year. It's an altogether different protocol, but. This year, that circumstance does exist. So, yeah, they could possibly be in it.
2: A virus replacement team. <laughs> Do you ever think you'd say those words?
1: No, no and oh. I don't want to ever say them again.
2: <laughs> Stormy,
3: what are you going to go home and watch this afternoon? Uh, like Ned, I'm going to watch the selection show, and then I'm going to tr- get ready for the next uh, Cardinals game to listen to on the radio. So. Yeah, that's
2: coming up on our sister station, the Bull. They're the home for the Cardinals baseball this season. So if you're – I love listening to baseball on the radio. I think it's just a sport that's made for radio. Exactly. And so uh, it's great to listen to the games. They've got spring training going on this afternoon. What are you going to go home and watch, Josh?
4: Probably the back of my eyelids. <laughs> <laughs> no sports for you today? You're oh, just going you know to you're just going to go I'll, home? I'll tune into that selection show. It's this is I agree. It's exciting that it's back on track and they're going to be able to do it again. So It'll be it'll be cool to see. It's very weird to me that Duke may not be in the tournament.
3: Yes,
2: yeah. I, I think I'm going to go home and try to take in some spring training baseball, and then uh, I'm going to watch the latest edition of the Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries tonight on the Hallmark. My <laughs> my wife who loves who's addicted to the Hallmark. Well John. done.
1: That's very well done. You're single, <laughs> so you don't
2: have to put up with that sort of stuff.
1: Mm, yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ned. We'll see you uh, next week. Make sure you tune in to Ned. Each weekday morning right here on The Cave, he sits in with Mike, the intern. Always very entertaining. You guys have great chemistry together, and I love listening Fun to you. Fun working with Mike. Yep. Stormy, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You'll see be you then. Back. All right. And, Josh, we'll see you next week. I'll be here. All right. It's I'll Ned Talk. under the desk. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> Ned Talk, 104.7 The Cave. I want to say thanks to Corbin Campbell, Scott Meyer, Mike, the intern, and Nick Fury. We'll see you guys next Sunday at noon. Download the podcast.